Up next, Spiderhead on Netflix, starring Chris Hemsworth, Miles Teller, and Journey Smollett. And is it good? I mean, maybe? Some of us had fun watching it anyway. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kinda like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Oh, hey there, listener. Welcome to the Magnificent Huge Podcast. This is episode 234. This week, we're going to dive into the Netflix spectacular big-budget magnum opus from the director of Top Gun Maverick uh, called Spiderhead. It stars Chris Hemsworth, Miles Teller, and uh, a few other people you may or may not have heard of. It's based on a short story by the fabulous George Saunders, who I recommend highly. Uh, This is really uh, a bad representation of his work as a film, I think. But that's just me. The other fellas had some fun. Uh, But the gist of the show is that Brian has a theory that if you uh, go to a movie based on any sort of literature, don't read the literature first and you'll have a much better time. And we seem to think that that plays out quite well because we're all split on this. Those who did not read the George Saunders were more entertained let's just put it that way so that's the gist if you want to hear what that's all about dive right in to our show about spiderhead on the netflix uh yeah it's an interesting little thing but uh you can reach out to us at magnificenthuge at gmail.com you can reach us on twitter on facebook on instagram we're uh on itunes we're on soundcloud we're on stitcher uh blah 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 you know all the drill that's where we is that's where we'll be uh, but now we're just going to dive into uh, what might have been a mistake on my part to suggest, but uh, we're going to talk about Spiderhead, a movie that had so much potential. Did it live up to it? Well, it certainly looked great, and some of us were entertained, and that's really all you can hope for these days, I guess. So, good on you. Enjoy the show. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Spiderhead, Spiderhead, does whatever a spider... No, no, I was thinking, uh, Dead. put your... Put your hand inside the spider head. Put your hand inside the spider head. Put your hand inside. Put your your hand hand inside the puppet head. Put your hand inside the puppet head. Put your hand inside. Put your hand inside. Put your hand inside the puppet head. Yeah. That's, uh, Netflix. Uh, what happened to you? Netflix. That's all I will say about that. You're, you're saying that as though it was it was somehow good at some past I think, juncture. Yeah, I think it's yeah. a sign uh, that that Netflix is the retirement home for the MCU because now they all like are in yeah. a a Netflix movie after there you have End Game if well, they don't already have a career. That's a little preview of the today's topic. A little movie called Spiderhead, starring Thor. Uh, but first, shall we, the our- <laughs> shall we introduce ourselves? Uh, this is Chris. Hello. Hi, Chris. This is Eric. Hello also as well. Hello, too. Eric. Hi, Eric. I'm Brian. Hello, Brian. Welcome to Magnificently Huge. Shall we just go into the fresh shit? This shit is fresh. I'll I'll vow to go last since I don't have a whole lot. 
but uh all right i leave it to you too to i i can jump in first do um it. all right i saw the last hope of anything remotely like a decent movie coming out this summer i saw bullet train with brad pitt really was it any have you guys seen the trailers for this i saw yeah, the yeah, trailer and was intrigued but at the same time i'm like i know i'm gonna watch that thing and just be like <laughs> that was my feeling what i've been wrong what i've been wrong oh it was it was so much fun um okay. it's it's a big dumb action movie uh set on a train i mean huge huge influences from like john wick and um tarantino in this thing like um it's just chock-a-block full of familiar faces yeah um but it is yeah it is this uh i don't know it's not really a caper or a heist it's more just a a scenario brad pitt is this guy who gets (laughs) he's an assassin um, who's dispatched to, to capture this this briefcase off of a bullet train, and like everyone else on the train, pretty much has also got something like that going on. Yeah. Um, I mean, but the thing is, it's got a really tight script, um, and it's well structured. So like, there's no throwaway lines. Every gun is Chekhov's gun, and it goes off at some point. So every little thing that happens has a payoff. <laughs> okay. Um, and um, Brian Tyree Henry and Aaron Taylor Johnson totally steal the show as a pair of assassins who have been tied to, to the hilt uh, since childhood. They think of themselves as brothers. Um, and, and they're the ones that have all the sort of like snappy, ongoing Tarantino-esque dialogue throughout the whole thing. But it's just a, it's just a hoot. It's, it's a big, silly... I mean, not even a big. It's like they're not shooting for more than like a three-star movie here, but they just everybody brings their game and they're having a great time. And they brought all their celebrity friends for you cameos. Know what I, you know what I said when when I saw that preview the first time? It's Hudson Hawk on a train. <laughs> wow, that's, a that's, I mean, that's what it yeah. looks like. Gut. I just think it's funny you brought up the John Wick reference because it's the same guy that did John Wick and then later Atomic Blonde. No, I, I mean, no, it's not. It's the guy who directed Deadpool 2. Yeah, it's David, David Lynch. And he did... Oh, did he do yeah, Atomic he, Blonde? He did Atomic Blonde, okay. and he's uncredited on the first John Wick, because he was like the stunt okay. coordinator, but he, he more or less co-directed it, just didn't get the credit for it. So it's, it's funny that you bring up that flavor, because that's exactly what you're going to get, I would think. So, yeah. yeah. No, uh, it's... It knows exactly what it is. It's not trying to be anything else. It it is just a very polished version of that thing, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, lots of lots of fights, lots of people ultimately dying, lots of twists and turns. What I think and, is, uh, is funny about it is it's getting a, it's getting a lot of shit because apparently at the end, and the train apparently has been is it going north to south or is it south to north? Does it matter? It's, well, I don't know. Apparently it does, because I guess it's uh, whatever direction it's going is totally false for the end, because by the end, apparently there's a looming shot of uh, the mountain in the back. Mount Fuji. Uh, Mount Fuji. And apparently yeah. that's geographically just totally false. It's like, that's not even anywhere near Mount Fuji by the end, but there yeah, it is. But yeah, but because we're all smart enough to, 
Yeah, we're all too yeah. dumb. If we weren't so dumb, we wouldn't be at the movies. <laughs> well, it's just funny. It's just sort of like, you know, you do a movie in France and you got to have the Eiffel Tower in the background everywhere, even though, right. you know, it's that kind of yeah. shit. <laughs> we're dumb. It's a really nice shot. It's obviously an effects shot, yeah. but it's nice, you yeah, know. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah, no, it's um, definitely recommend it. When this hits streaming, you guys, uh, you should check out Bullet Train. Oh, I guess it. when uh, Brad yeah. Pitt took this job, he had, he had told them, look, we have to do this as a comedy, which makes me, you know, realize at some point they thought this was a serious film. Yeah. Boy, it, the script doesn't, I mean, the script is so very clearly a comedy. Mm. Um, Intriguing. I don't, I, it must have gone through a hell of a lot of rewrites if that's yeah. the case. I mean, how does it? Yeah, Brad Pitt's character, is whole, his whole deal is, like, he doesn't want to do this anymore. He's too old for this shit. And, and honestly, he'd like to be a pacifist now. Um, but he also views himself as the unluckiest person. Mm-hmm. And, and so just all this stuff goes off that he attributes to just bad luck, but really it's kind of good luck and he's just not seeing the big picture because <laughs> he's is he dim <laughs> he's dim right and that the i mean he's he's not dim so much as he's just over it <laughs> okay so how does this rate to something like uh lost city because apparently uh he and sandra bullock sort of did uh yeah like a reverse favor for each other on getting into these movies so he said he would do lost city if she would be in Bullet Train, and that was sort of the trade-off. So Lost City is more of a Hollywood film. Lost City is more of like a take on you know Romancing the Stone right. or yeah. or something like that. And it's 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 definitely jokier okay. by a lot. Um, but yeah, uh, a number of people involved with Lost City show up in one way or another in this okay. movie. <laughs> That's just the nature of the beast. How would this rate? Is yeah, sort of everybody's a- just. Calling uh, their buddies. <laughs> how how would this rate as a diehard in a movie? Is it that kind of vibe? Well, no, because um, the diehard, at least the first diehard, is, you know, regular everyday schlub is stuck in a ridiculously, you know, silly situation. Right. Uh, this, n- not a regular everyday schlub here, you know, he's... Well, you know he's what I mean. He's a trained though. assassin. It's, he's it's, just... it's like that whole subgenre of movies that came out after Die Hard, where it's Die Hard in a boat, or Die Hard mm-hmm. in a, another plane, or Die Hard no. in a whatever, that kind of thing. I wouldn't say no, they're going Hudson for tension. Hawk on a train. <laughs> yeah, it's more Hudson Hawk on a train, I think it's fine. Bunny, ball, ball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for those of you who haven't seen Hudson Hawk, uh, you'll see probably it. hate it, but Why see not? it. Why not? Yeah. That was sort of one of one of Bruce Willis's like passion projects that uh, really didn't need to get made. <laughs> so, lottie doll. Okay, Bullet Train. Ask Bullet for Train. Money. Ask Check for my name. It out. Okay. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to bring, um, I got sucked down a rabbit hole on a podcast. And this is a I, I listened to like the whole podcast in the last week, and this is a podcast called Download the Rise and Fall of uh, Ain't It Cool News and Harry Knowles. Oh, nice. Oh. That guy's such a D-bag. Fuck. I hate that Yeah, guy. well, so is the guy that hosts the podcast, unfortunately. Yeah. And he's got an axe to grind. Yeah. Um, there's a you know, there's, So he's... Yeah, there's a lot with that. He, he's trying to do sort of like the history of of ain't it cool news and harry knowles 
and trying to give the perspective of everybody but Harry Knowles and does a lot of interviews with, with people who used to write for Ain't It Cool News. Yeah. But he's like so shitty to Harry Knowles. Like, you know, he's constantly talking about how Harry's fat and how he lives in his parents' basement and how he's crippled <laughs> and how he's been called a hillbilly. And he's like respectful to everyone else and he's just a well, shit to Harry Knowles. I, Did having, Harry Knowles owe him money or something? No, but having lived in Austin uh, for a number of years, uh, I can tell you that he is not well respected in most normal circles in that town yeah. because he is such a fucking dickhead. I mean, I have heard more than one person just go, that guy was at that film thing I was at and just what a fucking dick. So it's not like an <laughs> unprecedented thing. <laughs> I will tell you that right well, now. Well, <laughs> it, w- it would be nice if the narrator didn't have the same vocal tics as the comic book guy from The Simpsons. Nice. That's um, almost worth a while. Make him sound straight. <laughs> is Radioactive Man number 47, not number 42. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, he's like that. He, he does have this thesis that, like, Ain't It Cool News was an early example of the internet culture that would just ruin everything, right? right? That, yeah. the, that the talkbacks kind of led to the something awful forums, kind of led to the Chan culture, and, and on and on. He also talks about how, like, that internet influencer culture gets its start here, yeah. and that that was why all the film critics were getting fired during the Great Recession, and it made the movie enthusiasts the main people writing about film, and thus you get like the people going release the Snyder cut, yeah, and and you get you know QAnon basically. Yeah. Well, it's those are the types of people that make it possible for J.J. Abrams to make the Force Awakens, and then that whole yeah. three film travesty. I mean, it's just that's the that's the end result of that culture. It's just yeah. <laughs> There's no reason. No, the end result of that culture is the end of the America, the democracy, <laughs> or the republic. But oh, that yeah, but whatever. Star ago. Wars. Yeah, yeah. And you can't yeah. blame J.J. Abrams for that third Star Wars. That thing no, no. This guy is so blaming many people. Yeah, this guy's blaming Harry Knowles yeah, almost might as directly. Well. Might as well. This made a nine-episode podcast trying to draw a direct line from Harry Knowles to the collapse of the Western you know yeah. world order well but here's the thing with harry Knowles: if you'd ever gone to the any cool news site when it was at its apex like literally i read it all the time yeah, back then literally everything that harry Knowles wrote was about him being invited to the set for some whatever movie and then just gushing about yeah. being there and then talking about being there rather than talking about anything related to the fucking movie it was just like right kid in the candy store making you very aware of the fact that he was in the fucking candy store i just i hated everything about his shit it was i would like hate read it because it was just so irritating so yeah it's it one thing though on that point about him destroying culture that doesn't seem fair because like if he hadn't don't you think somebody else would? It's oh, really yeah. just oh, yeah. the whole the whole medium lent itself to someone coming along and saying, you know, uh, yeah. uh, I don't know. It, it is Trump unfair because it, it was it was inevitable. But but what he does point out um, is that you know maybe by just luck, the talkbacks and ain't it cool news is one of the very early examples of realizing that the money in the internet is in engagement and engagement is assholes stirring up it's it's people getting pissed off yeah right right? that's how you get that's how you get engagement and that's how you get money and that really was sort of 
ultimately the business model for Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. And this, you know, this was sort of one of the first places where that really took off. It makes. Me I don't think, think of, it's because of Harry Knowles. I think it's yeah, because the internet's full him. of horrible people. Well, I mean, but it's, <laughs> you got to wonder what the genesis was to that, to something like Infowars, which also originated out of Austin. Yep. I'm not sure what the fuck is going yep. on with that town, but it's the same thing. It's just selling outrage and then getting, like, like I don't know, creatine sponsors or whatever the fuck Alex Jones was making money off of that was ridiculous. I mean, it's just that sort of vibe. It's like we don't give a shit about anything we're, we're putting out for content as long as it riles people up so they'll come back for more. Side <laughs> note, how great is it that he's about to be bagging groceries for a living, huh? Huh? Uh, That's awesome. I was at a restaurant not too long ago. This is maybe five or six years ago when I was still living in Austin, and a friend of ours at the table just oh shit don't look now but alex jones is over there and he was at a table off in the corner and it's like literally all we could do not to go fling food on him we were just like <laughs> so close we we're like no i want to enjoy my meal fuck that guy Ugh, hate that <laughs> all right that's enough for me this week what do you guys got uh apparently a lot of I, un- unfinished rage but yeah go ahead i watched the old man a a series on hulu with jeff bridges as an aged spy who beats the shit out of some people. We're watching this going, man, he's like, he's in his mid-70s, and and he's handling this shit, you know? <laughs> I, I, that's the first thing I want to say about this, is that Jeff Bridges is amazing. At one point, he has his shirt off, and Jeff Bridges is jacked. I mean, you know, not like for a 70-year-old, like like for a person. And yeah. my, my wife said that... Robert De Niro must be insanely jealous because <laughs> Robert De Niro is only six years older than Jeff Bridges, yeah. and he can't even pretend to walk like a young man in The Irishman. He's still yeah. walking like a 70-year-old man. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, oh, but yeah, he's okay. So he's a, a, a spy who has been in hiding for years uh, because he ran off with the wife of a... Um, Mujahideen warlord in the 80s when he was in the CIA there uh, and now the warlord has found him and he's on the run and he's being chased by his former colleague in the FBI and it's a whole rigmarole and there's some p- one thing that bothers me is that it's kind of basically the the story from the comic book movie Red if you remember, with Bruce yeah. Willis. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, but otherwise, it's very well done. The cast is amazing. And like I said, the, the, the fight scenes are fucking unbelievable, especially when you see that it's Jeff Bridges not giving a shit. I mean, he's just, he's just going for it. I mean, yeah, if you look, look at his career, he's always done some uh, very oddball roles. But when he gets to play, like over the top it's actually more fun mm-hmm. to watch him do that than be reserved honestly yeah but, but it's oh it's also funny because you know he's he's a very scary guy and he's got his scary guy jeff bridges voice but every now and again the dude comes out hey <laughs> there's a drink here man you know it's like just this moment of ah well, it's you know, just like that, like when he, it's just like when he was doing Flynn and uh, Tron Legacy. It's that thing. It's sort of like he's being yeah. philosophical, but then it's just like, oh, it's still the dude. It's still the dude. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was the best. Yeah, I love him. He's awesome. Um, uh, let's see. John Lithgow is in it. He's he's very good as well. But 
Also, every time he gets a little excited, all I hear is Dick from Third Rock from the Sun. <laughs> what are you doing? You know. Um, a curse on you, Ponsai. Yeah. <laughs> Emil Lazardo. Worth watching. Yeah. Very worth watching. Yeah. Cool. And apparently, apparently, it's I, I thought it was a limited run series. It's a series series, and they got uh, renewed for season two, so I'm not really sure how that's going to happen. Oh, this isn't a movie. This is a show. Yeah, yeah. it's like an Amazon yeah. oh, show. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they've got a whole show out of Dude Can't Get Over His Breakup from 40 Years Ago? Needs to hunt uh, down Jeff Bridges? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Okay. See, there's a lot going on here. This, uh, this aggression will not uh, stand, man. Will not stand, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jane, what am I going to do? Uh, I mean, you got to feel bad for Jeff Bridges on some level because after Lebowski, Why? that's literally his go-to role. That's like his signature. And so it's that's I'm a sure long shadow. I'm sure he does not care. It's a long shadow, <laughs> I'm sure though, man. Like, <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure he's like, cool, I get to just be Jeff Bridges on camera and, and get paid. Yeah. Like, I, I don't see the problem here. Seems, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm also yeah. pretty sure that the uber-Buddhist Jeff Bridges looks at the dude and says, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, he seems like he'd be fun to work with, but, like, anecdotes from Big Lebowski would be, like, him getting so into character for scenes like one, he asked the Coen brothers, he's like, do you think the dude would be high for this particular scene? And then like, well, yeah, probably. And so he'd like go off and he'd just like rub the shit out of his eyes for like five minutes to get them all red and bloody shot. And then he, and then <laughs> yeah. he jumped in or and did the scene. Or he'd just go smoke weed. <laughs> well, I think that would be hard to pull off consistently. If you got a lot of setups, yeah, you that can't really be, be stoned out of your, yeah, you couldn't be stoned out of your fair. gourd. <laughs> I think he's and, just that good like of a hundred. Like Jack Nicholson looks at you and says, yeah. "Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> uh, okay." I at believe point- when uh, John Goodman got his star on the Walk of Fame, Jeff Bridges gave his like you know his his speech or whatever in support of John Goodman as the dude. He like put nice. on the sweater, <laughs> nice as you're wanting yeah. to do. Okay, so the old man worth it. Yes, yes, very much so. Okay. Um, um, okay. I'll be interested. The, the, my, but my one problem of, is, as I say, there's just way too much sort of, I don't know, not coincidence, but it's, it's it, 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 nothing happens outside of this bubble. You know, it's like they've written right. themselves in the Star Wars problem where everyone is a Skywalker. You know, it's that same kind of. Uh. I'm not sure why uh, that's that's true of of fiction these days that you can't just have everything. outside sources because it's lazy because Mary. it's an easy way to 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 draw conflict up and and not have to like explain anything. I, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. lame. But yeah, okay. it's how they ruin Bond. It's how they yeah. Mm. Mm. so yeah give it a shot that's all i can say give it a shot and then tell me how horrible you think it is and how i am an asshole (laughs) and then let me know at maghuge on twitter and magnificently huge on gmail should we do that part now no you go ahead (laughs) i mean hey we could just end the show (laughs) see you later everybody thanks for stopping by uh okay well yeah i'll put it on the list but there's just I think we touched on this a little a little earlier a couple of shows back, but there's just so much crap that just dropped now. So there's more content than I have more than I have time to watch at this mm-hmm. stage. So it's just sort of 
picking and choosing now is almost an impossibility. I would put it on your uh, to watch list, and then when you run out of stuff, like in you know six seven months, you're gonna be like, oh, what else is there? Okay, it's worth checking out. All right, maybe by then I'll finish because I I sort of yeah. migrated over to the Netflix in the last couple of weeks to catch up there and finished uh, Umbrella Academy season three, which was. I haven't even started it. Is it's, it worth my time? Uh, it's still no. it's still fun, but they're definitely sort of uh, running the horse a little fierce. It's like they they it's it's seem, like it, it seemed like they had fresh ideas because they brought in the whole sparrow thing. Uh, right. I mean, it's it's interesting enough, and I was entertained. Uh, it's just not like an OMG. I gotta keep watching kind of a thing. It's like basically just like the the running joke now is that every series is them trying to figure out how to avoid a pending apocalypse because of whatever mm-hmm. time distortion they've done with the jumps that they've made. And so it's like, I don't know. <laughs> sorry, the Blue Angels. Yeah, in the sorry. Like they're doing an air show here this weekend, and so they've been running Blue Angels around my neighborhood nonstop for four days. It's so. It doesn't insane. actually sound like jets coming through the the phone line, though. It sounds like 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 a poltergeist in your TV. It's yeah. I, I thought it sounded like a cyber toilet, but yeah, yeah. or that. <laughs> well. Just I, I was like working Thursday, and I didn't realize that they were going to be out there practicing, and so it was like this thunderous whoosh, boom, and the windows would shake, and then they would fly off, and I literally thought that it was like the start of Red Dawn. I'm like, holy shit, is Cuba invading? What the fuck is going on? <laughs> Wolverines! So, yeah, all weekend. All right, so Umbrella Academy Season 3, was that you what you were bringing, or was that just something uh, you were just saying on the uh, way to something else? Well, that's just what I had been watching. Uh it starts out strong because it's, you know, the Sparrow Academy and it's sort of this weird alternate dimension thing. Uh, and there's some fun to be had. And then as it goes on, they, they address head on uh, all the stuff with Elliot Page. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they do sort of the uh, like the acceptance of being trans. And so yeah, does sort the of, character actually transition? Uh, like, it's basically as the, as the character sort of gender identifies as male, so they don't really get too involved with it. But so they they address all of the stuff that happened with Elliot Page recently since the last okay. series, uh, and it's got moments. But overall, it just gets kind of tiresome. It's sort of like it. it, it this is the third series where it's involved around getting away from an apocalypse and fucking it up. So the apocalypse still happens. I'm not giving anything away because you've seen these shows already. If you've watched the third by the third one, so you know that they don't really do anything to totally avoid it. They'll just start some other shenanigans. Uh, but the sound, <laughs> but the is, soundtrack is, is the guy best. who's the perpetual kid uh, still still awesome. He's still the best part, yeah, because he's basically okay. playing like a like a 67 year old man, but he's like 15 or 16. And he's just irritated and doesn't want to have anything to do with anybody <laughs> and that kind of thing. How do you have a kid that looks still looks like a kid after three seasons? That's uh, yeah, that's a good question. But you know, whatever. But it's uh, their it's their hit show. I guess maybe it'll come back for season four. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, so once I finished that, I started into the new one, which apparently a lot of people were waiting for. Which I was sort of, man, whatever. But Neil Gaiman doing uh, Sandman, finally. Okay. 
and it's uh, uh it's a very darkly lit thing but it also <laughs> looks like everything else that netflix does it's like what how do they manage to make every show look like a netflix show that's what i don't get <laughs> Uh, by cutting the budget uh yeah <laughs> no does does it does it have the property i was saying when i looked at the trailer which is it does not appear that any two actors occupied the same space when they were doing their takes uh i or, mean you could make that argument but no there's there's enough close proximity uh but okay. basically they're obviously working with you know green screen backgrounds and shit like that for a good chunk of it so that might be why it has that weird quality about it uh, but basically, is it any good? <laughs> uh, so far, it's engaging enough, but it's not like awe-inspiring. Like I had a lot more fun watching uh, the Good Omen show than I did this, the mm. other the other Neil Gaiman adaptation. Probably because it's a little bit more fun, a little less serious. Uh, this I one, I found that one tough to watch just because I know the book so well. Yeah, you know, it's almost like a book report sometimes. Yeah, Sandman, I'm not familiar with, so I'm thinking I may have a shot. Uh, well, the the main guy, Sandman Morpheus, is the king of dreams. Uh, the whole first episode is just all set up, and you're like, oh Jesus! But basically, he gets trapped by Charles Dance in the, like the turn of the 20th century because he's a, like a you know paranormal whatever dude. Uh, and he basically traps the King of Dreams for for like a hundred years and steals all of his art- artifacts, and there's like a whole myth-building thing about that, and then he eventually escapes by the end of the first episode and has to reclaim all of his artifacts and get his kingdom back, but everything is in decay, and then you realize that the world can't survive without dreams. It's just like a whole big super myth thing. Uh, but the dude, the dude that plays Sandman literally looks like he should be in The Cure, if not Robert Smith. I mean, it's that vibe. So it's <laughs> it's just sort of... That's how he was drawn. Yeah. So it's it's that whole thing. It's like I could see Tim Burton doing a version of this at the drop of a hat. But the guy just talks somberly and in very deep tones uh, and almost monosyllabically. And it just sort of... He's the the main character, Salmon, is the least interesting thing about this. But by the time you get to the second or third episode, David Thewlis shows up, and they're I guess they're positioning him to be the big bad for the run. And he is so fun to watch in anything that he does. And for the like if you yeah. don't remember David Thewlis, he's uh the werewolf guy from the Harry Potter movies. Yeah. Uh, Professor Lupin. Yeah. He's the bad guy from Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yep. But he's also in a bunch of Mike Lee films yeah. in the UK, and he's just brilliant there. Walk, go look for uh, Naked. Naked, yeah. That's the first time I saw him on screen, and he's just riveting, because he plays a total fucking bastard, but he's at the same time, yeah. just you can't you can't take your eyes off his performance. It's amazing. It's uh, also a, a bastard, but in the vein of uh, Angry Young Man, the, yeah. uh, you know, the uh, look back in anger. Yeah, play where he's like he's an asshole, but for very good reasons. <laughs> so he's shaping up to be the most interesting aspect of the show. Uh, but I don't know. I didn't really read the the comics a lot, so I only have a passing v- interest in it. It's not like a huge 
thing for me. Like, I know a lot of comics fans out there from like, oh, finally, we get a Sandman. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, nah, whatever. It'll, I'll watch it. But you know. I wonder if real comic fans are like, oh, no, they're going to fuck up our Sandman. That should yeah, be the real probably. reaction. Well, I mean, Gaiman's got a big hand in most of these projects now because I think he doesn't want to go the route of, uh, like, Watchmen and stuff where the, the property gets sort of just taken away from the creator. And so it's, you know, him being very much involved. <laughs> yeah, so. but Alan, that's because so, Alan Moore says, go fuck yourself. I yeah. don't care what you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this feels more like, uh, I don't know, like a Hellraiser and that sort of vibe. Like Clive Barker having a very hands-on approach to his material in the adaptation. So I don't know. Mm. It, it may or may not pan out. I mean, it's interesting enough if you like sort of the fantastical world. And then at some point... Uh, Constantine shows up, but they roll reversed it, so it's Jenna Coleman playing Constantine. Oh, uh, and she's kind of a badass in it, so that's kind of interesting to watch because she's you know very diminutive <laughs> physically. So that's kind that's of fun cool. to watch. So I mean, it's got enough to to registers you know a good passage of time, but you know it's not like the most awe inspiring show I've ever watched. But you know. Take it for what it will. It's typical it's got Netflix. that American... It sounds like that, that whole American gods thing, because he's so obsessed with mythology. Yes. Very much that. Very much that. Like, at one episode, he, he goes into hell uh, to get one of his artifacts back, and then, uh, what's-her-face from Game of Thrones, Gwendolyn... What's-her-face? I can't remember her name, but she was... Uh, Gwendolyn Christie? Yeah, yeah. And she's basically Lucifer. And so that's fun to watch because she's just a very tall person to begin with. <laughs> and so she towers over the actor playing Morpheus. And so it's just, you know, by mere physicality, it's just this weird sort of dichotomy of the, the two gods kind of having a tete-a-tete. So it's, it's got enough interesting stuff in it, but it's at the same time sort of like, I'll watch it. I'll totally forget it. But, you know. She makes again. a good Lucifer because, you know, tall. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so there you have it. Uh, just like the old man, if you you know want to put it on your list and watch it nine months down the road when everything else is run dry, right? Then uh, go for it. <laughs> I've yeah, I I must say I've I've kind of just sort of cruised past it because I haven't liked the last couple of uh, Neil Gaiman attempts, but I'll give it a shot. This does sound from interesting. Yeah, I mean it's it looks fun. It's great. There's you know they have a lot of fun with the mythology, and it's you know they don't really have any sort of uh preciousness about which mythologies they're doing it's like you know greek roman uh biblical christian i mean they don't care they'll just lump it all into the same pot and kind of roll with it so it's fun you know hmm. but uh yeah. so um and and maybe this will be part of our main topic as well but you know i continue to say that if you if something is based on some something that was written Mm-hmm. You want to watch the adaptation first so that you're not sitting there watching the adaptation going, ugh, this is different from the source material out well, the whole time. Yeah, which which is a good segue into the show proper, I think. Get right into Spiderhead uh, and, and go. Because I, yeah. only, I only brought this up as a pitch because I'd seen the movie had come out on Netflix and I love the short story that it's based on, which came out of like 2010 written by a guy named George Saunders. Who's one of my favorite writers 
He's a master of the short story form. If you've never read his stuff, do it. Because uh, he has a knack for making the banal seem so evil yet complacent at the same time. It's a weird tightrope that he walks. And so there's always this undercurrent of unease with any of his stories. And so I was looking forward to getting that vibe. And I was so disappointed when I actually got into this movie and realized that they just, it was written by the guy that did Zombieland. And that's when I went, oh, fuck, I've made a terrible, terrible judgment and error. <laughs> and I apologize. <laughs> So, so I I read I read the short story before I watched the movie. So you and so you crossed your own rule. You you crossed your I, own rule. I did, and I regret it because I probably could have enjoyed the movie. Yeah, on its own terms, if I hadn't read the short story first. But this movie is so not the short story, right? Exactly. That uh, I haven't read a goddamn thing. I only watched the movie. So. Okay. Go, uh, okay, so let's get Eric's impressions. How how yeah. was the movie without without that? Well, why don't we why don't we actually tell people what it's about? It, the, it in <sighs> the film at least it is. Yeah, let's a, tell them what the lab, film's about. A lab in the middle of uh, some some jungle, uh, some island lab where they are testing drugs that uh, uh, change your behavior and your emotional responses and. Thor is the guy who's running the tests, and um, he's kind of a manipulative, crazy person. And Reed Richards is one of the uh, <laughs> people in the prison. Miles who, Teller, who not is uh, taking the test. Not Jim from the office. Yeah. Yeah. Either or. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So so yeah. So they're 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 testing these drugs on these people, and then there is a secret that is revealed. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, well, the basic gist of the story, because it's only like maybe six or eight pages or whatever. It came out in the New Yorker. But it's people who are in this prison. I mean, they're prisoners, but they get to roam freely because, uh, they're just in the middle of nowhere. And so it's the whole gist of the story is that they're getting tested with these pharmaceuticals, but there's this illusion that they still have control because anytime Abnesti, the, the Chris Hemsworth character wants to inject them with whatever he's testing, he says, uh, drip on and they have to say acknowledge before they administer mm -hmm. the drugs. And so it's this illusion that they still have control and the right. movie starts off. Well, it's very disorienting. And then it kind of rolls into the the vibe of okay, I get it with their testing stuff. And then it just I don't know about the end of the first act, it just goes off the rails and turns into this totally traditional, rote, thriller type thing that looked like it was trying to ape Ex Machina almost. Uh, and it just kept going into Hollywood territory. And at that point, I went, Why do you bother Netflix? Why do you fucking bother? And yeah. so it just. Well, I I mean like they also had a limited amount of time you know I mean they yeah they they I I guess though it's based on a short story they could have taken a short story and made a film out of it yeah. well that's just it the yeah. short story like has totally different themes yeah uh, the short story is is wildly a different story than this there that's so yeah. that's what I'm saying they didn't adapt the short story they they it sounds like they took elements of a short story and made their own movie. Basically, is they what really happened. did. Yeah, and I was so yeah a couple of irritated. scenes. Yeah, 
a couple of scenes early on are are reasonably close to the short story, but um there's a there's a there's a girlfriend character in the movie that's utterly not present in the short story. Yeah, totally made up. Yeah. Um the the crime for which our protagonist has been convicted is very different and this they've they've watered it way way down to make us sympathetic to this guy yeah. in a way the short story doesn't bother to. Yeah. Um cuz the short story and, the like the whole purpose of that is to sort of play with the idea of uh being forced to make a choice that's not really a choice and then having to explain your lack of choice that's actually a choice. I mean, it's this weird Byzantine and this movie just gets rid of all of that. And it's just sort of like, you're here, you're trapped. We're making you do shit you don't want to do. And then eventually you figure out a way to escape. I mean, it's just, it's so rote. I was so irritated. I can't even begin to explain. Well, here's, here, here was my thing. I, I actually rather liked the film. I, I, I didn't have a problem with it until the break okay the tonally it's you know it is a very it works as you say as a a a, a thriller there's a, there's a guy with a secret there people are being used yeah it, it it works it's serious it's you know it's mildly mm-hmm. interesting but the problem is as they break out hijinks ensue and i don't think i can forgive this film for that it's like right you for no good reason, suddenly they're doing like it, it, it's very zombie land. Suddenly, exactly. Where yeah, they're finding like wacky things happening. Oh no, shit finger! You know that what? Huh? Really? Yeah. They're they're trying to break out of a prison where they've had their their control taken from them, and they're worried about a woman with poopy on her hands. Well, you know, and then the other guy that tries to stop him, who's been in the tests where he keeps eating and eating and eating, even though he's full because of whatever drug yeah. they're testing. And he basically just lets them go because the woman gives him the key to the pantry. I mean, it's just shit like yeah, that. Yeah, hilarious. Ha Hilarious. Ha. So it's... Yeah. So, th- so that bugged me. Yeah. But uh, be- beyond that, yeah, I didn't have a problem with this film. I rather, well, I, I kind of liked it. Uh, um, yeah. I wish I had read the story second. Yeah. I, I shouldn't have broken rule. my rule. Yeah. Because here, here's the thing... Eric, and, and I'll, I guess we'll just kind of explain the, the, the cognitive dissonance, right, as these things diverge. So the, the movie and the short story both start with the same experiment. It's just that the short story does a better job of explaining it as an experiment. Right. And the idea is that they take two people um, who are just not at all attracted to each other, just don't find each other interesting, and they administer these drugs which makes them fall madly, deeply, passionately in love within minutes. So, right? like, the first act of this film. Yeah. Yeah, basically. except that happens, basically. sort of. Yeah. In, in the film, it basically just comes off as horniness. Yeah. Right? And in, in, the, in, the, in the written version, they, like, imagine their lives together, and they imagine all of these wonderful things, and they, they, he, he goes into great effort to describe how it really feels like this deep you know, basic, hardcore love that they feel and not just boinking. And and then they take it away. Yeah. And and then they do it again with the with a different pair and they keep mixing up patients and putting them through the same thing. And what they're really trying to figure out is if they've got a drug 
that can take away all of your all of your attachments, all of your feelings for another person. Uh-huh. And the only way they can prove that is by basically mixing and matching all of the different pairs of people and running them all through the same gauntlet, which is, okay, you've been with both of these people. Which one do you want to torture now? Yeah, right. And and it has to be like, I don't care. Either It doesn't matter to me. I don't really <laughs> yeah. care about these people. Like, that's the result they want. Yeah, right. And that's there in the movie, but I don't know if it comes across to a person who's just watching it. So I'm curious your yeah. reaction to that, Eric. In the movie, it's, yeah. Well, I mean, the movie is, that's not the reaction they want to hear. What they want to hear is that they still have, uh, you know, some feeling for one or the other so that they can then, you know, torture them and get the, get them basically to say, yeah, go ahead and torture this person that I now love because the purpose is actually to find a drug that makes people willingly do whatever they're told. Right. Mm-hmm. And they find the one way it doesn't work is getting people to, you know, kill someone they love. Yeah. Mm, okay. Um, Which, and I don't, yeah. I don't know that I recall this. Uh, I mean, it was kind of there in the movie, but, but not great is that, is that then they put the character in a room with another dude and now he's on the other side of that thing and he knows oh so one of the women screwed both of us and is deciding which one of us to torture right eh. yeah <laughs> um, that's in, just that's in the movie it's in the movie but it's, it's different yeah it's more uh driven in the story because it's basically like three sets of dudes with two women and they all rotate out. So by the time you get to the point in the story where he figures out what's going on, it's him and the other dude just sitting there in the room and nothing's going on. And then Abnesti, the scientist just comes on. He's like, okay, thanks guys. We're done. And that's when the light goes off in Jeff's head. He's like, oh fuck, you know? And that's when he barges into the spider head, which is the big control room where people are partaking in these experiments. And the whole story is like nobody wants to ad- administer this dark and flocks, which is just makes you feel worse than you've ever felt in your entire life. And nobody will do it. And that's driving the scientist insane because he's just like, I won't. I want somebody to in- administer this dark and flock so we can see what it does. And so it's and it never really happens. So the the book is or the story is more about how even the guy that's trying to control the experiment can't control the experiment which kind of parlays into the movie, but there's so much other bullshit that they've added to make it a movie that it gets lost in the shuffle for me. So, well, I mean, as a movie, it works. I mean, you know, I'm just telling you, I, I thought it was, I thought it was good. I, I liked his, you know, the, the, I guess the issue his character has, I like that the, the, the point of it is not to find a all in one love drug, but to find a, population control drug which makes a lot more goddamn sense i actually like the fact that they have found all of these um emotion sort of bending controlling drugs that work already and they don't care that's you know it's like it doesn't matter that they can do all these things the point is can we control people yeah i wish they had gone more into the various ones that they had tested up to that point because miles teller's character at some point says he's been through some weird uh like 
experiments prior to all of the stuff in the movie, but they don't ever delve into what those would have been. But in the mo- in the story, there's one, and they just kind of a throw off. But I they basically uh, give him a drug where he can stand in a cash register for 16 hours, and his legs don't get sore, and he's able to do uh, division in his head without thinking. And it's so shit like that that makes me laugh. But I wish they'd have done more of that to get into like the various goofball shit that they were trying to test on people in the yeah. movie. Uh, yeah, like, well, just do like a montage given, or something. Yeah, given all of the various drugs, I yeah, it would have been nice if you know, like like he's, he he kept telling his assistant, "You need to think bigger." I I would have loved if he had explained. See, now with this drug, we can make everybody a drone, and with this drug, we yeah, can make everybody exactly. work a shit job and not complain, and with this job, right. we can make minors. You know. That would have, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, because this was really about population control, you know, or yeah. or control of the existing population rather. That's yeah. that's interesting, and unfortunately, it just got objective. too jokey. Yeah. Well, that is the objective in the short story: population control. They're they're talking about you know pumping the love drug into into warring dictators and getting them to like stop having wars, and but yeah. they're also they're 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 not so much testing a you know, a magical, you do what I tell you serum so much as they're testing a, we can make you stop caring about the things you cared about and that will defuse the situation serum. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Which, which in the Um, story is called docile ride. (laughs) That's the other thing. mm -hmm. The story is chock full of all these goofball names. So, yeah. The other thing they had is an eloquence drug, uh, which, which was, I was really looking forward to see how that would play out in the script because it gives the the screenwriter this opportunity to just really go for yeah. the purple prose. And I thought that was nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I I felt like they could have gone further with that. <laughs> I was actually I kept expecting to find out that the tests were being, um, I guess, corrupted because they're mixing in another drug. Like every time they they pop them with the the verbose thing it screws something up. But nope, they didn't go there. Of course, that would make sense. You're testing yeah. one mm-hmm. drug. You don't give somebody another drug. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's stylistically, it had a lot going on because it's Joseph Kaczynski. And so it's, you know, he's a, he's a good stylist. Like even Oblivion uh, looks great, but it's also sort of flat as far as the messaging and whatnot. And Tron Legacy, the same thing. It just it looks great, but it's just flat as far as the messaging. I'm not sure what his bag is. He just he's more style. He didn't than, write it. Yeah, but Did again, he? but he's more style than substance. So it's sort of he just sort of attaches himself to these projects that he can do all these great production designs yeah. on that look really slick, but they're just empty bonbons basically. That's I sort mean, of my my vibe yeah, I guess on this. I, I I figure you know what a director is supposed to be all style no substance because fuck them they're just supposed to shoot a script <laughs> right. the script writers though they you know unfortunately are gag writers you know right. they they did a, a a competent enough job until they were allowed to go with their you know natural instincts which is to Deadpool the thing right you you know what they did they Sid Scheinberged it. <laughs> the, the, the story is Brazil. The movie is Sid Scheinberg's Love uh, Conquers All version of Brazil. Oh my god, yeah, you're that's right. what it is. You're correct. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly well, well played, sir. Well played. Oh, they're attacking. Uh <laughs> but yeah, because the, the other the other thing sort of 
that I pull from it too is that it it has a very the way they've set it up is a very island of Dr. Moreau kind of vibe uh, where it's the one of us one of us kind of things but instead of keeping Abnesti the Hemsworth character sort of uh, like weirdly omnipotent and sort of untouchable which would have made him a little bit more menacing here they imbue him with all of his like past traumas that are driving why he's doing what he's doing and they make him a very sort of fragile human character blah 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 and i thought that was just a oh mistake. making him a user of the drugs yeah sucked. yeah i yeah. thought that was just that was just an unnecessary approach to the material it's like make him sort of just this omnipresence uh, that nobody's really ah. sure about, and I think that would have lent a little bit more to the the paranoia of being in the prison and what's going on and this and that. And that's where Maybe. it kind of got wrote. But okay. here's how I read that: Yeah, is that this is a guy whose you know emotional trauma really made it so that he's unable to feel things. That's you know that's why he is so like plastic and manipulative he doesn't feel anything anyway so the drug actually allows him to feel something when he does use it okay okay well and certainly and and that's what makes it what makes uh, it scary is not he's an omnipotent uh puppet master who you know is running the whole thing it's that the guy running the thing is fucking crazy that's high on his own supply yeah yeah that you've you're basically being lorded over by a 40 foot tall child you know and and you have no no recourse that's that to me was you know the scary part and of course they don't realize it at first he's everybody thinks he's a really cool guy but yeah uh, i guess we come to find uh it just was a little too too slick and the the soundtrack was a little too winky winky okay no, this is whoever did the soundtrack. I bet you did the same music rights as the guy who did the Adam Project, because this is yet another another example of them digging into like the K-Tel hits of the seventies and early eighties. It's to to populate a soundtrack. It's like what was cheap? What yeah. could we get? That everybody's was cheap? a fan of Yacht Rock now, though. Yeah. Yacht Rock yeah. is also like ironically funny. Yeah, but have you noticed that this really wasn't more prevalent until guardians of the galaxy came out and then suddenly everybody yeah. thought hey let's do it. it's just like when uh pulp fiction came out and suddenly everybody was using like dick dale and all that shit uh to sort of exude shorthand for cool and so these are sort of them doing the winky winky nods to yeah we're quirky because we're doing yacht rock from mm. 1978 to give you a la 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 it was just so uh, <laughs> fucking irritating i mean and i like uh, the songs that they used, I just don't like them in that context. It just sort of ruined it for me. Yeah. I think that's the main problem. It's, it's like, going to be great in like 10, right, 15 years. Less. Yeah, in 10, 15 years when we have action movies uh, to Ouija board, and they're doing the same thing with the shit that we were listening to. <laughs> Ouija board, really. Ouija board, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. can you help me? Yeah. Uh, um because it'll be that on the nose. It's like, like I yeah. said, it's like Edgar Wright, but without the cleverness, right? You know, it's like, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, I don't know that there's a whole lot more I have to say on this one. I mean, I had hopes for it. I really did. But then in the back of my head, I'm like, well, it's made for Netflix, so this is very much the modern version of straight to video, where it's just. Yeah, not going to see the light of day in the theater, but somebody put enough money into it that they thought they could get an audience, yeah. and so it just sort of has and, that taint surrounding it. And I thought it was a good time. I'm glad I don't read. 
<laughs> but, <laughs> but would you watch it again? That's the thing, Eric. Like, is this one that yeah, compels you to like, watch? Really? Okay. See, I think I would. Yeah, Eric is proving my, my hypothesis. Don't read it first. Watch uh, the shitty adaptation, great. enjoy it, and then you can also enjoy both. I mean, I also that's the like message. the bizarre sort of mid-century modern version of the future that they live in in yeah. this mm. Spiderhead complex. Okay. I think they should have explained the name Spiderhead. All they, I know is that it was the name of the control room. It wasn't until you were talking about it I realized, oh yeah, they're in the yeah. middle of eight, you know, a bunch of rooms. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. even know that it was eight. They, but they're in the middle of a bunch of rooms. They, they barely mention it in the actual movie. It's just a kind of a throw-off thing early on uh, when Jeff goes in to do the first experiment in the control room, and that's when they talk about it. So it's just, yeah, th- there's a lot of throwaway details that get lost in the shuffle in the movie because they were trying to be more, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to hard to, to talk about because I'm just so, so annoyed by how very much they uh, – steered from the source material they had a good source and they could have made it way more interesting but instead they veered towards hollywood and it uh disappointing that's me i'm disappointed yeah i was really i was really hoping to go on that journey and watch like this whole montage of them mentally falling in love with each other and then somehow visualizing pulling them back out of that back down to baseline like instead we just kind of got Let's fuck, you know, and yeah. it's like, uh, I mean, the closest missed opportunity, the there. closest that got was the experiment where they gave them the drug that makes everything okay and amazing. And they basically yeah. take him out. And then he's talking about how the flowers are just blah, 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 love, love, love. And then turns out he's just staring at like a, an industrial complex with smokestacks and garbage and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a fair visual representation of how that would work. But everything else sort of was just, they, they kind of just give it to you as a matter of fact. It's like, well, they're on this love drug, so yeah, now they're going to fuck. I mean, it was just, there was no nuance to it, I felt. So yeah, that was my problem. But I don't know. All right. So watch it on Netflix or read it. If you're going to do both, do them in that order. Yeah. Spiderhead. Yeah, just read George Saunders. Don't even bother with the movie. I'm sorry, Eric. <laughs> I just, you know, that's my personal opinion. Yeah, I like the movie. I don't know. Uh, cool. Where, so where would where would you rate this in all of the other Netflix items? Because you were talking about how it's the graveyard for MCU actors now. Like, when do you think uh, <laughs> RDJ is going to show up in one of these things? All right. Yeah, that's an interesting one. See, like, as a movie, I would put it at maybe like a six, maybe yeah. a six and a half. Yeah. Uh, as a Netflix movie, I'd put it as like an eight and a half. Okay. Maybe a nine. I mean, because let's face it, Netflix content, kind of shit. Yeah, right. Especially now that they're not able to show, you know, other people's. Now that every studio in the world is their own streaming service, Netflix is reduced to whatever they can make themselves. Yeah. And it's not always great. It's just, yeah. It's so irritating to watch, too, because a couple years ago when they put out Roma, uh, as that, like, their first prestige uh sort of deal it yeah it set a good tone and i thought okay they're really trying something interesting uh you know alfonso Cuaron, very artsy uh it's a really good movie uh but then suddenly they decided that there was more to be had with doing like just one-off shitty 
like comedy movies and adventure movies and then like Adam Sandler gets the deal so, and I don't know it's just ugh. when 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 somebody at the risk of getting made fun of here but that, when somebody teaches you to meditate the whole thing is like you're going to have thoughts you just let those thoughts glide on by. You observe them, and you let them go, and you don't dwell on any of them. Yeah. And that's what Netflix movies are. They're thoughts during a meditation, like so many filet of fish sandwiches on a conveyor belt just passing you yeah. by, not really enticing you, but being edible. But you know if you eat them, they won't satisfy any of your cravings. Yeah. They just keep coming. I yeah, know, that's, know. that's what think, Netflix movies are to me. I know, but the fact that they're spending like... 80 90 100 million dollars to make these things and the and the are they, insane. or somebody else making them and they're like buying rights or are they actually initiating these productions no they're they're spending a shit ton of money to make these uh content specific items for them that no one else is going to have as the uh, way to entice okay but they don't ever give the numbers for the audience and so they're just you know take our word for it it's a boffo I mean, they could they could get away with shit yeah. like it's the the number one watched movie on Netflix this week. It's like, well, what the fuck does that mean? Nothing. It's it means like, it was on autoplay for everybody who yeah. logged in. The movie just starts playing. Yeah, yeah. But no. they don't release any of these numbers, and so it's like you know, the Gray Man comes out, and it's like the biggest thing since the Red Notice came out, which was the biggest thing since whatever Adam Sandler thing came out, and it's just sort of like just stop already because none of this stuff Netflix. Like, we have we have so much content, and none of it's even as good as this. Yes, that's what they're saying. <laughs> so, yeah, it's I don't know. That's just sort of the cherry on top. But uh, but Spiderhead, yeah, you could do worse, but why bother? I mean, it's that's sort of where I'm at with it. Uh, yeah. You know. And be careful, this is not the Spider-Man porno. No. This no. Is, yeah, this that's, is not... That's different. Yeah. Spider-Head. I got it. Yeah. Okay. See? See what I did there? Ooh. All right. I so, think on that so, yeah. note... On that note. <laughs> yeah, tell us what your favorite Netflix movie is. You can... Uh, well, first of all, subscribe to the podcast. For crying out loud, subscribe to the podcast. Give us a review on iTunes. Share it in your social media feeds. Help us out, right? Uh, if you want to reach out, go to our website, maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com, and there you're going to find links to all the ways to contact us. You'll find our Twitter, our Instagram, our Facebook. You'll find a link to email us at magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. And, yeah, tell us uh, tell us what, what, what else we should watch and read and do, and maybe we'll do a show about it. Yeah, totally. We're taking the drug. We're we're completely dependent on your suggestion. We'll do it anything. We're we're helpless. Shitfinger! <laughs> <laughs>